Jason, I'm the lead pastor here. I just want to say welcome, and so glad you guys are here. I, I think I'm saying this correctly. I could not be more excited about this series. Uh, we're going to be running this all summer, and, and like Leanne said, we're going to be just talking about story, and here's why. Everyone loves a good story, and this really starts from childhood, doesn't it? I mean, we have bedtime, what? stories. We have story books. I was asking some people this morning, hey, what was your favorite book as a kid? And I heard, you know, the Velveteen Rabbit. Any Velveteen Rabbit fans? I heard Goosebumps. I'm like, oh, well, that explains some things. If you were listening to Goosebumps or being read Goosebumps as a child, that kind of tells us why you are the way you are. Um, But uh, my favorite was Fox in Socks. Any Dr. Seuss fans? Love me some Dr. Seuss. I love Fox and Socks. In fact, if you go like to our website and read in my bio it, under favorite books, if you were looking for something theological or deep, you know, no, it was Fox and Socks is my favorite book. But uh, I mean, how can you not fall in love with stories like this? Knox in box, Fox and Socks. Knox on Fox in Socks in a box. I mean, it's, it's just great stuff. And I remember though, as a kid, uh, listening to my mom read Dr. Seuss, this one in particular, and just laughing because my mom would get tongue-tied, and then I would try it later as I began to read. And, and so it was just this great story time. And then stories kind of progressed into other things. I mean, stories progress into what, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. And so they get a little bit more complex, but we love to lose ourselves in great stories. And here's why, good story has a way of inciting wonder. It's a place that you can kind of lose yourself in. You can lose the the current reality that maybe you're in. It has a way of just inciting this wonder inside of us. It has a way of igniting vision where you go, oh, I I never thought about that. I've never really thought to think that way. And all of a sudden you have like new vision for maybe something in front of you or something that you're dealing with or something that you're going through. And so now you have this ignited vision. You begin to dream and see things different. It, It ignites creativity. It ignites passion. You hear a good story and you go, man, that really sings to me. That really, I can identify with that. I'm going to step into that and see what happens and see if, if the same outcome or the similar results, those kinds of things. And so we step into these and it inspires us. You ever left a movie theater after hearing or seeing a good story or put down the book and go, now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. You have been inspired to do something great. Good stories allow us to see beyond the moment. It allows us to see beyond the world of what is and what was and gives us a glimpse because as the story unfolds, what we see is what was to come. And so we begin to immerse ourselves in these great stories. But here's kind of the thing about a story. It is the thing about a story. That stories are meant to be shared. Stories, good stories, are meant to be told and they're meant to be heard. A good story isn't a good story. In fact, it's no story if we don't share them. If we don't hear them, if we don't tell them, if we aren't given the opportunity to be in the midst, because here's what happens. A good story creates connection. We go to lunch and you hear my story, or I go to to lunch with you and hear your story. All of a sudden we connect and we go, I had no idea. 
I got to serve just this last week on, on a selection panel for the new principal that's going to be here. And, and I immediately, as I heard someone's story, go, that's my guy because he's a University of Kentucky grad. <laughs> Ran track and field. I'm not going to tell you his name because if he doesn't end up here, you're going to be like, well, apparently you didn't do your job. But story, when we begin, we connect to each other in story. It creates empathy. All of a sudden you go, I can feel for you. And suddenly I have this rush of feeling that I, I, not, I don't just connect, but I, I, it bleeds into these areas of compassion, and, and it bleeds into these areas where we begin to go, oh, I can empathize, but I can also get to this place where I'm going, I didn't know anyone else was dealing with this sort of thing. It creates these bonds. It allows us to see the world and situations and circumstances beyond our own experiences or beyond our own current reality. We love a good story. But see, good stories go beyond. They go deeper than just connecting us. A good story, a story of transformation goes to this place where we begin to have these moments, even the hearing of someone else's story, we're taken to or we're transported to a moment of our own evaluation. We, we begin to, to evaluate ourselves and we begin to formulate change, and here's why. That every good story comes with a twist. It comes with an unexpected moment where something happens that changes the trajectory of our story. There's something that happens in the narrative where we're going along, and as we hear someone else's story, it calls us to a place where we begin to evaluate our own story and say, wow, I have been there, done that. This moment where trajectory has changed the course of our life, there's something that has happened. We're going to call them throughout the course of this series. We're going to say these defining moments that redirect our paths. It's a moment where you thought something was happening, and there was something that, that happened in the narrative, in the plot. There was a twist, and suddenly you find yourself going a different direction and you're going, hold on, hold on, I wanted to go this way, but now I'm going this way. And it's not until sometimes you get way out there till you begin to look back and go, wow, I'm really glad that that happened and changed the trajectory of my life, of my family life, of my career, of my faith. And what we see sometimes, not at the moment, but as we unveil and, and begin to listen to other people's stories and then begin to evaluate our own story, what we see is this, that it provided something that proved to be really instrumental over there because I dealt with it over here. It's all a part of the overarching story, the story of life, your story, my story. But, there's a but. But. Sometimes, many times, most of us, we believe or we have come to this like thought process that says that the only stories that matter are the ones that have these really big earth-shaking moments. You know, the moments when we hear it, someone else's story, and you go, ooh, ah. And we automatically begin to formulate and evaluate our story and go, well, I don't have any of those can you believe moments. I, I don't have, as I begin to look over my story, I don't have any of these moments where I go, I can't imagine moments. 
I don't have any of those episodes. I don't have, and so what happens is this. We believe that we, because we don't have what we believe to be these big instrumental ooh and ah moments that we don't have a story. We think, well, my story's kind of boring. My story's, to be honest, if you were to sit down at coffee, you would need three cups because I'm going to put you to sleep. It's average. It's mundane. And here's the danger of thinking that way. We walk away thinking that no one needs to hear or wants to hear our story. Or worse yet, we walk away and say, I don't really have a story. And I just want to tell you, throughout the course of the summer, you could not be more wrong. And you're going to hear this over and over and over. First, everyone has a story. Everyone. Every single one of you has a story. There's no small stories. There's no insignificant stories. There's not boring and mundane stories. They're your stories. And you have a story. But having the story is not where it ends. You need to realize this second, that it is continuing to be written. You may say, well, Jason, let me go ahead and tell you, there are some moments in my story I'm not proud of, and there are some moments, to be honest, that I'm in the midst of that I don't see an end. My story is bleak. My story is, is, is over. I don't see how this is going to end. I don't see any resolution coming. Or, or maybe you're in a great part of your story. And you go, oh, my story is fantastic right now. Well, guess what? It probably won't be forever. There's going to be moments, twists and turns and plot changes. It is continuing to be written, and it will continue to be written, to be honest, beyond your life because your story is going to play backwards. So it's continued to be written, and the third is this, is that it has been written to be shared. So you see the progression that we're going to go through all summer. Everyone has a story. We want you to begin to identify your story. We want you to lean into the chapters that are continuing to be written, but we want you to know the end game is this, is that they are being written in order for you to share, identify, embrace, and share. So for the summer, here's the way this is going to go. We're going to tell stories. We're going to tell stories from Scripture where people in, in those day and those ages had these defining moments, these twists. They were going one direction, and something happens. A lot of times Jesus happens, and their path is redirected. So we're going to look at some stories from Scripture. But what I'm really excited about is we're going to see stories from you, people that you sit with, People that you don't know, people that you do know, people that you thought you knew, people that you didn't know about, there are going to be moments where you get to share your story, and we're going to see that what's going to happen is just what I told you. It's going to incite and inspire and invite us into sharing your story. Everyone has a story. So let me get to the first story. I want to tell this morning, or allow him to tell, I want you to hear part of Chase Connor's story. <laughs> Come on up, Chase. Here's the reason I chose Chase to kind of start us out of the box on this. I picked Chase for a spe specific reason. I've never met anyone that shares their story with more people as often as Chase Connor does. I see students out here. I see people who have been touched, who have been changed, whose life has been redirected because of his story. Uh, this guy will text me at 12.30 a.m. 
with a question because he's knee-deep in telling his story or a version of his story or listening to someone else's story, and there's a question that comes up, and it's never easy. It's like, you know, 1 a.m., and he, he's like, hey, man, how do you deal with, like, premillennialism? Like, what is that? And I'm like, dude, it is 1 o'clock in the morning. What possibly could be going on at the skate center for premillennialism to be talked about? That's Chase. And so as he's telling his story, it incites this wonder. And people go, well, how about this? Or I've always wondered about this. You say you're a faith guy. And, and so these stories are beginning to be culminated. And everywhere, um, you know, I worked with Chase for a couple of years down at the skate center. And Chase was always sharing his story. And sometimes I don't even know if he, was reali- he realizes that he was sharing his story. Because it's just become so much of who... He is. And so when we sat down this week and we kind of said, hey, let's, let's kind of iron out the, the final details of this, I know that you in particular felt like to a degree that you fit in the category that I was talking about. You were like, well, I don't really have like oohs and ahs moments. I mean, I don't know what to do with this. And, and, and you know, it's kind of boring. Like these people are going to fall asleep. And I was like, well, they fall asleep every week anyway. So it's, it's not going to be any different than a normal week. But you, I know one of the things you said was like, you know what, my story's not that real, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. It's pretty average. So let's kind of talk about that set segment. So tell us about, especially your story of faith, how your story kind of began and how you grew up in that. And then we'll get to how you didn't even realize what was happening back there. Yeah, so I grew up in a really small town. I grew up going to a very small church my whole life. And we were one of those families that were there every time the doors were open. So we're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, And it was like that all the way up through probably about middle school. And then we kind of quit going on Wednesday nights, and then we quit going on Sunday nights. But uh, my mom and dad were very strong in their faith, so we, I mean, Sunday was not an option. We were there every Sunday morning. Uh, so we were, it was like that all the way through graduation. And, you know, I graduated high school, and, I, you know, the best way I could describe it is I had this foundation built. Uh, I probably didn't even realize I was there, but I didn't build anything on this foundation. And we talked about kind of going into college that you weren't like this committed Jesus follower that was like over the top passionate. You know, these things that we now see, uh, you weren't those things. In fact, when you got to college, um, college happened. Yes. And, um, (laughs) but um, there was something in in like those first, what was like year three or so. And I guess what I'm getting at was just because you were going to church all your life, just because you were going in the building doesn't mean that it took, so yeah. to speak. It wasn't like, you know, it became something. It took something else. There was something else that happened in your life. And so what was it that happened uh, to take you from kind of the frat house to the father, so okay. to speak? Well, it, that is true. <laughs> I got to college, uh, did the college experience, uh, did things that I not proud of. Um, and my faith was very mediocre. I still went to church on Sundays. Um, at this time, I'd gotten a job up here at the skate center. So I'd come up here on the weekends and I would stay with my family and go to church with them here in Madison. And, you know, like I would do things like go on Thursday night, we'd be going to sanctuary. But then all my buddies would be texting me, hey, you know, the beer is ready when you get back. It's Thirsty Thursday. <laughs> And so, you know, I mean, that's, that's the routine I lived for the first two years. And then uh, Talisa Mayberry came to college with me, and she and I started going to Raiders for Christ, which was a devotional that they did every Monday night, and there's probably about 80 students. And they invited us to go to Panama City, and I was like, 
cool, yeah, I'll go. It's Panama City. And it ended up being a college conference uh, with worship and classes all weekend long. And also a little down at the point, Chris was the worship leader, him and Vicky. And uh, so anyways, that was the first time I'd ever experienced community and just saw, been around a group of people who were so faithful and like hungry for the Lord. And it really just opened my eyes and that's really where my first journey started. So it starts with this, it started with like an invitation uh, to do something that, to be honest, I know one of the things you told me was like, you like, well, even if I didn't like what it was I was going to, it was Panama City, so there's a beach, and which I think is the reason a lot of our people go to camp. Yes. But um, so, so you had this moment where invitation happens, but something kind of resonated beyond the beach. It resonated beyond. And so how did that then begin to unfold into some things that really has become who you are, your identity, especially with students? Uh, how did that unfold into kind of, life when you got back home because you know we can all go to conferences we can have this this moment where you know you, you you have this mountain peak experience and then you get back home and then it falls flat or you can't find these ways so what was it that you connected to that continued to grow what you found through that invitation at the beach yeah so we came back and uh following summer talisa came back up to me and was like look our church is going on a mission trip to new york city we need to go so we loaded up the van didn't know a single soul on there and uh, this is the first time that I've ever experienced how much fun you can have serving the Lord. And I just, it's also the first time I've ever felt God. Uh, I remember being on the streets in New York City praying. It was the first time I ever cried during prayer and just seeing the lives changed. And so come back from that, uh, my heart was just, on fire and I was excited and ready to do whatever I wanted to do next. And so I seeked him out. I wanted to work with the youth and uh, he allowed me to go on Winterfest, which was a youth conference up in Gatlinburg. And um, everything was just uphill from there. It just it changed the tra trajectory of my life. And in all fairness, when he came and said, hey man, I wanna work with the students, I said, we're gonna need a couple days to pray. Um, and so we prayed, and, and I knew the answer immediately, but uh, just because, again, I had seen some of this, this faith begin to grow. Um, and so to kind of tie this up, because, you know, our, all of our stories uh, can go a lot of different directions and encompass a lot of time. Um, but here, here's kind of where I want to I fast forward now. So we had some things going on back here that really, to be honest, were average um, mundane, they're boring, you didn't really even know what we were doing, and you used the word foundation, you now understand that, and so there was a little bit of foundation, and then this invitation comes in at 22, you know, 22, 21, 22 years old, this invitation begins to lead toward some sort of like engagement, the engagement then leads you to New York City, New York City then leads you into this capacity of youth coach, which ultimately has led you into this life of community and all those kinds of things. Then there was another kind of plot twist. For those who don't know, Chase's mom, uh, who passed away this last year, had, had dealt really with chronic illness for like five or six years. And I remember, whether it be in hospital or just conversations late night, you drawing strength from places that weren't right in front of you. You were drawing strength from these places back in, in, in previous points and moments at your story and so kind of just tell us, like, as that unfolded and you watched and experienced and, and ministered to your mom in that, 
uh, what was it that, again, that allowed that story to not be easy in any stretch, but allowed that moment to be shaped a little easier? And so how was it that that story played out because of this other story that we've talked about? Yeah, so my mom, um, for a better part of 20 years of my life, my mom was sick, um, in and out of the hospital with different things. But probably the last five or six years, she was chronically sick and in and out of the hospital more than we wanted to be. And um, my faith really grew strong in this. I got to see a lot of miracles happen with my mom. Um, I've seen my mom's heart stop twice and be brought back to life. And uh, my prayer, my prayer life grew tremendously. And, um, you know, I had a lot of people ask me throughout this, you know, how do you stay positive through all this? And how do you, how do you still have a smile on your face? And the only answer I could give them was God. And it was just staying faithful and continue to pray and just um, to see how strong my mom was and see how strong my dad was through all this. Um, I knew that there was something special with um, following God and keeping him the center of my life. And so, you know, it led through a lot of hard times. And then even up through uh, her passing away a couple months ago, as hard as it was, and it was the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and it's still hard. Uh, just praying to God and just reading about him, it, it still makes it a little bit easier, even though it's still extremely hard. And I'm going to guess that when you were a middle school student, on the front row, being attentive to everything the preacher said. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess you thought at that time, hey, there's a moment out here that this is going to shape. And the answer to that is obviously no, you didn't know. But you just continued to allow your story, leaning into your story, looking back and evaluating your story, going, wow, look where I'm at now, look where I'm at now, look where I'm at now. And, and, and again, outside of this invitation, there's not like this massive ooh and ah moment, but what happened in that is you leaning in, allowing your story to be written, was able to pin a, a different ending than what would have, would have been if, if you did not give that space for your faith to grow. You know, one of the things that, that you guys need to know is that even in, um, you know, the last two years when your mom was in and out of the hospital a lot, I would still get, get this, I'd still get those same texts Hey, man, I've been talking to somebody at the skate center, and I've got a question. And I'm like, dude, your mom's sick, like, at the hospital. Like, what are you doing? And it just, it, over time, it became just such an integral part of as you're continuing to live out a very, very tough moment in your personal story, it was still this commitment to allowing yourself to be a part of sharing your story that was changing other people's story. And so I think I really kind of summed it up like this, that invitation led to investigation that led to transformation. And I'm going to bet that Talisa didn't realize the power of invitation and how now it has literally changed the course of, I think, of college students over the last 10 years that have experienced a different trajectory of faith because of your faith, that invitation led to investigation, that led to transformation, that equipped you to deal with one of the toughest moments that anyone will ever deal with. And all of that's now part of your story that you get to continue uh, to share. And uh, the reason that you're shaping lives is because you choose to share. So here's what I want you to know, Chase, as we kind of wrap this up, is that God's still writing your story. 
And the last couple months, as tough as that has been, and I know that there's still these moments where it is tough, and I know that people out here are dealing with some tough moments, that your story is continuing to be written. It's one of the things we talked about. And so I can't wait to see two months, two years down the road, as you really come out of this tough moment, what story you'll tell and how you'll continue to shape someone else's life uh, by the telling of that story. And I know this, you're going to tell everyone uh, who will listen. So everyone has a story. And that's part of Chase's story. So I'm going to pray for Chase, and then we're going to, I'm going to tell you one more quick story and call it a morning. Father, we just are so grateful for this man. I'm grateful for he and Mandy and, and his beautiful wife who pour their hearts out uh, to, to students and parents and people. And God, it doesn't matter whether those people gather in a, a building that we use for church or whether they gather in a school that Mandy teaches in or whether they gather in a skate center for recreation. Uh, I know that in all those spaces, they encounter you because they encounter Chase. And so, God, I'm so grateful that you have allowed him to use his, his ability to attract and this magnet uh, personality that he has. I'm grateful that you have, have chosen him, but I'm also grateful that you have empowered him to just be real in, in the telling of a story. I love that he doesn't go, hey, you want to hear about God? It's like, no, here's a bit of my story and what I've learned. And that always leads to a second question, which, again, he's so ready to answer and so willing to answer. And so, God, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, just Chase continuing to be a mouthpiece and telling the story, that he's learning to lean in and trust what you're pinning in his story, that he's using even the tough moments, the moments that we'd like to be able to erase or delete out of our stories, God, that he still uses those for your glory, for your honor, and to bring people closer to you in the midst of their, their storms. And so thank you for that. Thank you for the attitude. It's so easy in those moments to, to become a recluse and just ball up, but God, he's continuing to stand and, and continuing to be strong. And, and so we just pray that, that, again, he'll get past this moment. And again, it'll be one of those defining moments that changes not just his life, but the lives of those around us. Thank you for Chase Connor's story. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You guys give it up for Chase. This is really scary to do this. I want to tell you one more story. Um, stories of faith, especially, you know, these types of stories and, and the telling of these stories. And here's what I want to kind of pin to this just a little. What Chase experienced, whether he realized it or not, on Panama City Beach he was experiencing a new life. It was a new life that he didn't really know what was going to look like, but he was experiencing new life. And when he stepped into this new life, the story continued to be written, and it was written in a slightly different way that allows him now uh, to, to introduce other people to new life. So story has always, 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 always been a part of following Jesus. It's, it's been there since the beginning of the church. It's a part of your walk, whether you realize it or not. And hopefully by the end of the summer, you're going to be able to realize that it is a part of my life. And, oh, I do have a story, a story of faith. And, and while it may not come with all the bells and whistles and the oohs and ahs, it's still a story that we have a responsibility. We have a privilege. We have an honor of pleasure of sharing our story. In Acts chapter 5, we begin to see the importance of story. If you don't know about Acts, Acts was written as kind of the, the chronicle or the, the, the history of the early church when it's just starting. So Jesus has, has been crucified. Jesus has resurrected. He's come back and he's, give, he's given his disciples kind of the, the go. And he says, all right, here's the deal. You guys are going to be a part of starting this movement called the church. 
And so in Acts chapter 2, we see the church officially kind of get off the ground, and people are coming to, to know Jesus. They're coming to experience this community that, that Chase was talking about. They're being invited into this movement. They're being invited into a place where they feel belonging. They feel safe. They're, they're being invited into this environment that is changing the environment that they are now living into. Stories are changing. And then Acts chapter 5 happens, and these, these apostles find themselves in a little bit of hot water. People are tired of hearing the story, tired of hearing their story. And so this governing body called the Sanhedrin at that time, which was just made up of Jewish intellectuals and and high-ups, it was both political, but also it was religious. It was this weird, I know we can't imagine a system that runs like that, can we? And um, it was the system that was made up of these elites, and they've had enough. They felt the threat of hearing people's story. And so they capture the apostles and they throw them into prison. They're trying to decide what happens. And then an angel of the Lord comes that night and says, hey, 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 (laughs) you're not finished. The the apostles were probably going, well, guys, it was a nice run. There's no more story to tell. I guess it's going to end right here. An angel of the Lord comes and says, here's what's going to happen tonight. These doors are going to unlock and you're going to walk out. And you're going to walk and you're going to prepare yourself to be in the temple courts in this really public place. And guess what? You're going to continue to tell your story. Verse 20, it says, go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. Here's what he's saying. Go and prepare yourself in the temple courts to tell your story. And so, next morning comes, Sanhedrin gathers, and they send for the apostles to stand trial. And so, they go down there, and guess who's not in the cell? Doors locked up. The guards on duty are like, I don't know what happened. Like, the door, you know, we never saw anything. We stood here all night. We don't know what happened. And I imagine that someone's peering out the window into the temple court and goes, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this, but the guys that we just locked up that stood guard all night, we don't know what happened. They are out in the temple courts telling the story. So this infuriates them. So they go down, they arrest them, they bring them back in, and here they stand, trial. And so they're very careful. They want to think this through because the movement based on this story and the resurrected Jesus is beginning to gain a little bit of traction. And so they stand court and they say, you know what? We're not going to quit telling the story. Not just the story of Jesus, but we're not, going to, we're not going to stop telling the story of how he has changed our life. We're not going to tell, quit, quit telling about the defining moment, the resurrection, and how it has shaped our view of not just God, but of the world. And so they say, well, I guess this is the end then. And luckily, there's a guy who was a high-ranking official on the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel. He stands up. And he says, guys, I think we ought to proceed with caution. And he goes on to say that this is not the first time we've seen one of these movements. And he draws them to some recent history. He said, you remember so-and-so? You know, they spoke a similar story, but it fizzled out. And then you remember, you know, this this rebel leader gained 400 followers, but where is it now? It's fizzled out. And he says, this is just going to be another fizzle. And he says this. He says that if it is from men, it'll fade But if it's from God, if this story is from God, then it doesn't matter what we do with them. God's going to win. All we'll find ourselves doing is fighting against time. Time will, or against God, he says, time will tell. 
Let them tell their story. Who cares? They didn't think that the story was a big deal. They didn't think that in time anyone else would want to hear the story. Their story of new life. And then we get to verse 32, and they let them go. Verse 42, here's what he says. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, meaning every day, real life, skate centers and school hallways, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let me do a little rewrite. They never stopped telling their story. The story of Jesus that had become their story and they didn't know that way back here when Peter was fishing and jumped out of a boat to follow what he thought was a rabbi, now he's sitting in the midst of the Sanhedrin. He had no idea that God was pinning a story, a story that would change the course of human nature. That for all of time, the story would change the world. And so here's the point. Never stop telling the story, your story. And that doesn't mean that you got to know everything about this and you got to give account of everything. Guys, I think that we've, we, we, we've wasted a lot of time thinking that in order to be a real passionate Jesus follower, we got to be able to know and defend everything in here. And don't hear me out, I think that knowing this is, is vital. But if you know that Jesus rose from the grave and changed your life, then you've got a story. And while you may not know all of the story and, well, did Genesis really happen? And, and, and how about this big, I don't know. But I know that Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, I have a story. And these guys ended up giving their life for the story. So no matter what's happening in life, whether you're on the beaches of Panama City in the glory of God or whether you're in a hospital room, not knowing who's going to walk out. That no matter the circumstance, that people live to tell story. It's in these moments where we get to look back with amazement at what happened in a moment over here that we better understand what's happening here. So I want to leave you with three things, and then we're done. So as we work through this through the summer, I want you to, number one, I want you to begin to embrace the story that God is pinning. We've already covered that you have a story, right? Everyone has one. So embrace the story that God is pinning. Here's the second. I want you to begin to see how can I share the story that God is pinning. And in the moments where times are rough and, man, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here, will you trust that God is pinning a masterpiece. You heard this morning that God is pinning a masterpiece in Chase's life. You read Acts chapter 5, we see that God pinned a masterpiece in the middle of the apostle's life. And you're going to hear more stories where you're going to look and go, man, those are master stories. Those are good stories. And that happens when we lean in and trust that God is pinning these things. So here's how I want to end. What's your story? What's your story? You don't get to say, well, I don't have one. Yeah, everyone has a story. What's your story? And will you begin to embrace those things, identify those things? Are you allowing God some creative control over your story? Another thing I want you to ponder throughout the course of this series is this, is that who needs to hear your story? 
Who sits in an office space or a workspace or a home or a neighborhood? Or who's going to sit on the boat with you this summer? Or who's going to be on the golf course with you this summer? Who is it that needs to hear your story? And this, then the, I want to end with this, is that whose story do you need to hear? And so I hope this summer that you're, you'll hear something that incites, that ignites these visions and passions to begin to, again, work out our story and tell your story.